Hi, I'm Lou Eisen, boxing writer, historian, soon to be author, and today we're going to discuss, um, um, what are we going to discuss? The Bum of the Month Club, Joe Lewis. Uh, we're going to debunk the Bum of the Month Club is what we're going to do. Uh, it was a myth. It, the phrase Bum of the Month Club was originally started, it was coined by Jack Miley of the New York Post, and this would happen in the 40s. And so what happened was the timeline for this was the fact that uh joe lewis the reason i'm sort of pausing as i'm speaking by the way is i'm leaning back in my chair which is never a safe thing for someone like me given the size and weight of my gargantuan head but jack miley coined this phrase bum of the month and the reason he did this was lewis won the title in 1938 in june in chicago comiskey park against james j braddock Braddock was a good fighter. He was the world heavyweight champ. He dropped Lewis in the first round, and when he, Lewis got up right away. And so when Lewis came back to the corner, Blackburn, who was one of the all-time great trainers, if you don't know him, shame on you. And Blackburn had turned Joe Lewis into Superman. And when Lewis got back to the corner, he said, when you get knocked down, you don't get up at the count of one. You're giving the guy who knocked you down an advantage. Stay down for nine. Use that time to gather your senses, then get up. And what happened was Lewis got overconfident. He thought, I'm going to come right out at Braddock, who's got an arthritic uh, rib cage on the left and an arthritic arm, and kill him. And Braddock knew that was going to happen, stood back, took a step back, and dropped him. And so Lewis, Lewis is fine after that. He comes out, and Blackburn said, just do what I tell you to do. Just listen. That's all you got to do. And Lewis went out and methodically took um, Braddock apart, knocked him out in eight rounds. And everything you saw Joe Lewis do in the ring, all these great things, he didn't. He wasn't born with that. He came out of the amateurs, basically an arm puncher, but he got by on his strength. He was an incredibly strong fighter. And it was Blackburn who said to him, listen, the pro game is different. So if you want to hurt a guy, you can't just hit him with your arms. And a lot of times arm punches telegraph their punch, telegraph their shot. So what he said was to him, it, you can use your balance and your leverage. Those are the two key elements to boxing, balance and leverage. And if you use them correctly, you can annihilate any man you face. Plus, being a black man, you're not going to get a decision. It just isn't going to happen. And this goes back to Blackburn's time. Blackburn was one that is rated by most boxing historians. Um, one of the top three lightweights ever to have lived. Now, some of you who are younger than me will say, hey, 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 what, what, what about uh, uh, this guy? Or, you know, Duran, and Duran, I think, was the greatest lightweight of all time, and, and Benny Leonard, and this person, and then they'll, they'll mention recent guys, Tiafima Lopez, Lomachenko. The problem with a lot of, uh, main problem with the internet, I think, with regards to boxing, is that people come up with these insipid top 10 lists or who would have won if this guy would have fought this guy. And these are people that are so young that they only know boxing from 1985 till today. So they're ignoring the previous 100 years that produced a lot of phenomenal fighters, one of whom was Jack Blackburn. But Blackburn fought and beat a lot of guys. You know, he beat Jim Barry, who knocked down Sam Langford. He fought Gumboat Smith who had a victory over Sam Langford. He, he fought Joe Gans three times. So he fought Dave Hawley, the brilliant African-American fighter 
and beat him. You fought Harry Lewis, the the um, uh, the Jewish fighter who was welterweight champ, and and beat him. So he beat a lot of great guys. He was five ten and a half, which is big for a lightweight. You know, Blackburn was a big guy, but Blackburn did stuff that no other fighters were doing back then. And I'm surprised fighters don't do it today. Some do. You know, if they would have had film around at that point, Blackburn would have been watching it, but they didn't. You know, they would tape some fights, but it wasn't as accessible as it is today. So Blackburn knew that I'm a lightweight, and basically weight classes weren't, it didn't mean that much back then, these weight classes, because you would fight you would fight anyone who would fight you. So he'd fight Langford. He fought Langford six times. Sam Langford is the greatest fighter ever to have lived to not win a world title. And Langford, he fought him six times. He lost once, and he had four draws against him, and I think one no contest, where they weren't particularly trying hard, so the referee stopped the fight. So he fought all of these great fighters, dominated most of them. Uh, Blackburn was a, a piece of work in that he had a very, very, very nasty temper. And he had a scar on the left side of his face, thick scar all the way down here, across under his chin, all the way down to, to his shoulder. That was given to him by his brother after they got into a drunken brawl in a bar. Um, he was doing well. Blackburn in boxing is making some money. He got decisions against him because he was black. And he killed three people, including his wife, in a bar fight in Philadelphia when he was drunk. Sentenced to 15 years, did four and a half. But when he came out of prison, um, at that point, he, he had to substitute experience for speed because being in prison for four years, he lost a lot. He fought to 1923, 1900 to 1923. And then he gradually moved into training fighters. And when I say he used to scout fighters, what I mean is he'd go watch a guy that he knew he would fight. He'd watch him four, five, six times. So unlike even fighters today, he would never enter the ring thinking, well, I got great skill. This guy's a good fighter. Let's see what happens. He didn't want to leave it to chance. He didn't want to take that chance. So he would study fighters, he would make notes, he'd see how they react in different situations. So he tailored his boxing strategy and every one of his fights according to the man he was fighting, which was a very smart thing to do. So when he got into a ring against a Dave Hawley or Sam Langford or Harry Lewis or, or Jim Barry or Joe Gans, he'd already seen them fight 15, 20, 30 times. You know what they were going to do before they knew it themselves. And so he adjusted his strategy accordingly, which is why he was so successful. Blackburn was, a, and all these things I'm saying about Blackburn, he was able to impart to Lewis. Blackburn was a master of distance, known today as ring geography. Always knew where he was in the ring. Blackburn knew that, he, you know, Blackburn had long arms, but he knew if he fought a bigger guy with longer arms, that that guy needed room to punch. So Blackburn would crowd him, never giving the guy room to punch. The guy needed room to get leverage on shots. Blackburn wouldn't give it to him. Blackburn also knew so all sorts of tricks. For instance, when he'd be standing in the ring, and Lewis would do this later on, and a guy was a couple of feet from him, and Blackburn had his hands up defending himself, but sometimes he'd raise him really high to expose his stomach. And that meant his opponent would reach forward with a left jab to hit his stomach, at which point Blackburn would shift his stance. He'd put his left foot back and immediately throw a left hook and catch his guy on the chin 
knock him out. And he learned this from the great Joe Kowinski and the great author of Joe Kowinski, the book, the Kowinski Chronicles, Chris LaForce, is going to be with us in a couple of weeks on June 18th and um, uh, look for, or June 25th, excuse me, and look forward to that. June 18th will be Hall of Fame promoter Russell Peltz. So getting back to that, Blackburn knew. He knew what to do in the ring. And Blackburn also knew when he taught Lewis this, if you're getting hit with body shots, if a guy's crowding you, first thing you want to do is get into a crouch. Why do you want to get into a crouch? You're presenting less of a target to your opponent, less area, service area to hit. Then you bring your arms up and you catch the shots on your elbow, on your arms, on your forearms, and with your fists. And Lewis became a master at that. In fact, one exercise Blackburn had Lewis do was when they were at training camp in Pompton Lake, New Jersey, uh, you know, after they'd have lunch or after a workout, they'd sit outside on a bench or in a couple of chairs and they would just talk. He made sure Lewis would grab mosquitoes or flies out of the air and capture them. And it took a lot of hand speed and, co and eye-hand coordination to do that. And the reason he did that, of course, was because it, it developed that the quickness on Lewis's hands. So Lewis became an expert in the ring when it came to blocking or parrying punches or picking them off. And that was all because of Jack Blackburn. So he gets Lewis and he starts training Lewis. And he originally wasn't going to train Joe Lewis because Lewis was black and black fighters, especially heavyweights, pretty well had no chance of a title shot. Excuse me, after Jack Johnson after the reign of Jack Johnson, the first ever African-American world heavyweight champion. Johnson was what Joe Frazier would call a scambuga. He was very controversial. He enjoyed uh, flaunting things in people's faces. And it, it's difficult in a way to explain. He married white women, nothing wrong with that at all. But in some places and states, it was still outlawed at the time. So he was considered a fugitive. Um, but Johnson had other troubles with the fact that he was notorious for checking into hotels, not paying the bill, you know, getting a car, not paying the bill. He'd be paid for a vaudeville tour or a tour in England. He'd be paid ahead of time nine for two months work. And then after the second or third show, he'd just skip out and keep the money. So he created a lot of ill will. He slept with a lot of different women, white and black, and flaunted it in people's faces. His skill level was so much superior to the other fighters he was fighting, especially the white fighters. And in the end, Lewis, Lewis's skill was so much superior, but because of his management, they told him never flaunt over a fighter, never smile or, or, or show any joy after beating a man in the ring, especially a white man, never be seen with a white woman in public under any circumstances. And in fact, never be seen with any woman in public unless you have one of your handlers with you. Of course, the exception was the most beautiful woman that ever lived, Lena Horn, where he, whom he was seen with a lot. Anyways, we're getting off topic. So Lewis is learning as he's fighting. So when he has his first couple of fights, his first professional fight in Chicago, the Chicago Arcadia Arena, he fights a guy named Jack Kraken and knocks him out in the first round. Lewis hits him with two body shots, crushing body shots, breaks the guy, two of the guy's ribs. He goes to do it again. The guy pulls his arm down. Lewis, is, Lewis takes the punch up to the chin, hits him in the chin. The guy's eyes roll. He's out before he hits the canvas. 
fell face first, broke his nose. And he's fighting different guys as he goes along. He fights in a, a Syrian-American fighter named Art Sykes. Sykes is giving him a good fight, and the fourth round Sykes hits him a good shot and breaks one of Lewis's molars. And when Lewis comes back to the corner, he's expecting to get some sympathy. Blackburn said, you deserve to have, you know, what happened to him. He looks in his mouth. Yeah, he broke off one of your teeth. You deserve that because you were stupid. You know, when a man pulls his hand back like this, what you want to do is you either want to duck the punch, but the best thing is to get close to him, step inside. So there's nothing to punch. He'll punch around you. Lewis didn't do that. Lewis thought, you know, this guy can't hit that hard. I'll take the shot and hit it back. But it didn't work out that way. Lewis eventually knocked him out. And Lewis had guys back then were, that were trying. He fought one guy from Green Bay named Adolf or Adolf Weater, um, W-I-A-T-E-R. And Weater was a physically big man. He'd won, he hadn't lost in 11 fights. He had 10 wins, one draw. He knocked out most of the guys he'd beat. Physically a bigger man than Lewis. And he gave Lewis a good fight. And he was swarming Lewis and pushing him back and really trading punch for punch. And he hurt him several times. And after the seventh round, it was about even. But what happened, of course, well, and he dropped Riata in the first round, but Riata got up right away. So what happens is Lewis used a, a technique that Blackburn had showed him. When Riata got him to the ropes and was holding him there with his shoulders, uh, Blackburn taught Lewis Take one step to your left, hook your right arm and his right arm, step off the ropes and spin him. And he did. And when you spin the guy, the guy gets spun, he's off balance, his hands are down, and that's when you nail him. And that's what Lewis did and ended up winning the fight. So he did that to a lot of guys that he was fighting on the way up. Now, Lewis wins the title, and after that, he fights. He wins the title in 38. And he fights until he goes into the war from 42 to 46. So from 38 to 42, 21 guys. Fights 21 guys. He knocks out Cole 17. Buddy Bear fight was a fight where Buddy Bear was disqualified. That's the 18th win. He stops Gus DeRazio on cuts. That's the 19th win. And the other, the other guys that he's beating are fighters that were stopped because they were taking too much of a beating. So these were the guys that Jack Miley called bum of the month. And it wasn't a racial thing, as people sometimes claimed it was. They said it was a racial thing, that he said that because he was black. Uh, that's not why he said it. It was more the, the quantity rather than the quality of the opponents. Joe Lewis, the bum of the month didn't mean that the opponents were bums. Far from it. It meant that Lewis's ring skills were so superior, he made even great fighters and good fighters look like bums. One of the guys he beat was um, was a fighter named Lou Nova, inventor of the Cosmic Punch. And it was Nova, not Billy Kahn, who had originally said, you, you know, I, I'm going to run. And Lewis said you, he could run, but he can't hide. Um, Nova was ranked number one. He was not a bum. And he was just no match for Lewis. Lewis destroyed him. And he did it with... Um, Tremendous ease. Now we're going to look at some of these fighters. In the first defense of his title after he wins it, it's within two or three months. You know, today fighters, heavyweight champs, fight what, once a year, maybe twice? Lewis fought 21 times from 38 to 42. That's incredible. And one of the reasons may have been racial in that 
there's certainly a lot of racism amongst the sports writers and the boxing promoters and many Americans. So Lewis had to be a fighting champion and he had to fight as many people as possible and give them a fair shot. That's where the racism possibly came in. So in the first defense of his title, he decisioned the great Welsh heavyweight Tommy Farr, who's a person you should really look up and look into. Farr could fight really well. He beat James Braddock, but they gave Braddock the decision. Farr was an outstanding fighter. And he took Lewis 15 rounds. I mean, Farr knew what he was doing. Now, Farr had already beaten Bob Olin, the former light heavyweight champ. He'd beaten Max Baer, former heavyweight champ. He'd beaten Charlie Belanger, the Canadian. And he also beat former light heavyweight champ Tommy Loughran, who's not only in the Hall of Fame, but considered far and wide as the best defensive fighter ever to have lived. So Farr gave Lewis an extremely tough fight. So there's no way, no way, no how can you consider Tommy Farr to be a bum. This was a high-level, top-ranked, elite heavyweight fighter. And Lewis beat him. Lewis had to box him, and Lewis couldn't knock him out. And this is another thing Blackburn taught him. Blackburn said if you can hit a guy with one shot, you can hit him with two. If you can hit him with two, you can hit him with three. If you can hit him with three, you can hit him with four, so on and so on and so on. But he also said to him, you have to at some point, if you hit a guy your best shot, and he's still there, you have to concede the knockout and go for a win. Uh, using your technical skills. And Lewis had the best technical ring skills of all time. And that's because Blackburn gave those to him. Blackburn trained him that way. Blackburn came into the gym one day when Lewis was there and he had a brick in one hand and he threw a right hand and Lewis ducked under it and then he smacked him with his other hand. And he said, son, that's what I'm trying to teach you. They're looking for that right hand of yours. They're looking for it. So fake the right hand. When he moves to there, hit him with your left. And he was brilliant at that. Lewis would throw that left jab, that concussive left jab, double jab, double jab, double jab, over two, three, four rounds. And, you know, third, fourth round, he'd throw it. The guy would flinch, think there's another one coming, right? And he'd move to his left right into the force of Lewis's right hand. And, of course, Lewis sped up the process because he would throw – dozens of double left jabs in the first round. And then when the guy would move to his left, Lewis would catch him with the right. So Lewis knew what he was doing. None of it was by accident, it was by design. He knew exactly what he was doing because he learned from from Jack Blackwood. The one loss he had before he was champion was Max Schmeling. And that's because he broke one of Blackburn's rules. Blackburn said, when you threw the jab, you pull it right back to protect a counter shot. He didn't do that because he believed his own press. It was hubris that took him down that night, and Schmeling knocked him out. And the problem, of course, was that out leading up, he wasn't leading up to the fight, wasn't training as well as he should have. He wasn't running eight to ten miles. He was running one or two. He's playing golf. He was eating too much ice cream. So because of all of that, all of these things, Lewis wasn't really prepared well. But as he said after the fight, or years later, excuse me, he said, I never made that mistake again. And he didn't. Lewis rarely made the same mistake twice. There were two things about Lewis. You couldn't count on him to make the same mistake twice, and you never fought him twice. Anyone who fought him twice was beaten much worse in their second fight. He was the wrong guy to fight twice. So after Tommy Farr, he fought Nathan Mann, Nady Mann. And Nathan Mann had a record of 73 wins, 12 losses, 
four, four draws and 44 knockouts. That's not a bum. That's a good fighter. And man beat guys like Jack Roper, who fought Lewis, Steve Dudas, who was, who was ranked, Donald Redberry, Arturo Godori, who was a top-ranked guy from Chile, Bob Pastor, who was ranked, and Abe Feldman. Man was an excellent heavyweight. He was highly regarded. And Lewis dropped him three times in the third round before the fight was stopped. Man was a good guy. He beat a lot of good guys. Lewis just walked right through him. No one was prepared for the power of Joe Lewis, and that's because he was not an arm puncher. Lewis set his feet and threw that right hand and got his full 200-plus pounds behind it. And when it hit you, it felt like you are being hit by a tire iron. It just went down. Also, a lot of guys jabbed, and they would lean forward, putting themselves off balance. Blackburn taught Lewis, hold your ground when you jab. The power comes from twisting at the hips, driving off your back foot, and snapping your shoulder. And Lewis would do that. And that's why his jab felt like a, you were being poleaxed. Lewis knocked guys' teeth out. He broke noses with jabs. He knocked guys out with jabs. Lewis could jab hard enough to take your head off. And so people feared that. Uh, Mann was a very good heavyweight, and he had above-average skills. And there's no way you could call him a bum. Uh, next guy he fought was from Minnesota, Harry Thomas. And Thomas had beaten the Canadian Charlie Belanche. He beaten Jorge Brescia, who was a good heavyweight. And then he, he gave a fight to Lewis, but he was stopped in the fifth round. His final record was a respectable 41-15-2 with 32 knockouts. So he was a good fighter, not a great fighter. But was he a bum? Was Harry Thomas a bum? No way. No way was Harry Thomas a bum. After that, he... His next defense came against Schmeling. This is the single greatest fight in the history of boxing, as far as I'm concerned, and the most important fight. At this time, World War II was on the horizon. And I should have mentioned earlier, one of the reasons he fought so many times, Lewis, was they knew World War II was coming. And because he knew World War II was coming, that, and he would volunteer, which is what he did. He wasn't drafted. He knew World War II was coming. He wanted to make as much money off the title as he, can, as he could before he had to enter the army. The other thing too, of course, sadly, was that Lewis spent money like water. So the more he fought, the more he made, and the more he needed. Mike Jacobs, the promoter, told them to take half of every dollar you make, put it in a separate bank account for the IRS. Lewis just didn't do that, which is why it caught up with him later, but we're getting off topic. So you can't call Max Schmeling a bomb. He was a former undisputed world heavyweight champion, he had a record of 41, 15, and 2 with 32 knockouts. And, or excuse me, I was reading the above one. Uh, he had a record of 56, 10, and 4 with 39 knockouts. He'd already beaten Lewis. He knocked him out after dropping him several times. Lewis destroyed him in one round, broke his cheekbone, broke his orbital bone, hairline fractured the jaws, ruptured his spleen with the right hand, broke two of his ribs. He was in the hospital for months after. And... This fight was interesting because, you know, you have World War starting. Schmeling represented the Nazis, although Schmeling despised Hitler and the Nazis. And Lewis represented America and freedom, although blacks didn't have their own freedom, especially in the military service in the United States back then. Blacks were treated horrifically. And in this fight, like in all the fights, Blackburn had a strategy. He said, listen, Schmeling's got long arms. Schmeling needs room to punch. He needs distance. He's, so what you have to do is get in there and crowd him. And that's what Lewis did. Fought from a crouch, get in there, fight from the crouch, crowd him, throw short shots, four to six inch, six inches in length, and take him out that way. And that's exactly what he did. 
And when he trained Lewis, when he originally started training Lewis, what Blackburn did was he took a rope and he tied it from one ring post diagonally across the ring to the other. And he had, said to Lewis, when you're backing out of a clinch, you have to be under this rope. You can't back out straight up because that's how guys get tagged and knocked out or knocked down. You have to be under this when you're backing up and when you're moving forward throwing punches. And when you watch Lewis, he did that. Lewis was technically the most perfect fighter that ever lived. John Henry Lewis was his next opponent. Now, John Henry Lewis, his great-grandson, is LL Cool J. John Henry Lewis was the undisputed world light heavyweight champion. I believe he won it from Bob Olin, a great Jewish light heavyweight champion. Lewis was blind in one eye, and he wanted to retire, but he didn't have much money saved up, specifically because of the way the mafia ripped off African-American fighters. So he thought, if I fight Lewis, I'm going to fight him, and I'll win a lot of money, you know, whether I win the fight or not. And Blackburn said, listen, this guy can't beat you. He's a light heavyweight. Don't torture him. Don't fight him for 15 rounds. Just take him out in a round. And he did. He knocked him out in one round, but he sent him away with two, $300,000, which was great for that time in the early 1940s. And when you look at Lewis's record, he beat a lot of great guys. He beat Jim Braddock former world heavyweight champion. He beat Al Gaynor, great fighter, the Brit, the Brit, Len Harvey. He beat world light heavyweight champion Bob Owen and, and also heavyweight um, Halatori. And he was stopped, as I said, at 229 of the first round. But, you know, his final record was phenomenal. He had 101 wins, 11 draws, 5 losses, 57 knockouts. So John Henry Lewis is most definitely not a bum. Now, next up for Lewis was Jack Roper. Roper was a very good fighter. Roper boasted 66 wins with 34 of his victories coming by KO. Unfortunately, he also had 34 losses, 43 losses, actually. But he did beat top heavyweights like Patsy Perroni, Gunnar Borland, Eddie Sims, and, and Jorge Brescia again. Roper was not an elite fighter, but neither was he a bum. He knew how to fight. And... Uh, Lewis was able to beat him and stop him. Now, next in line for Lewis was the the um, colorful and deceptively skilled Tutan Tony Galento. Tutan Tony Galento was built like a, a beer barrel, beer keg. They didn't call him Tutan because of his weight. They called him that because he lifted these huge, gigantic wooden uh, kegs of beer over his over his um, uh, shoulder. And he could bounce them and toss them up in the air. These kegs were known as the two tons. And this is a guy who trained while smoking a cigar. He was a tough guy. And, you know, Lewis, he staggered Lewis around one and he dropped him around three. Lewis got careless. And then Lewis stopped Galento in round four. After he got up from the knockdown, every punch Lewis land on, on Galento's face opened up a cut. He was really angry at Glento. He was out to kill him. Glento had called his training camp every day before, before the fight saying, I'm going to do this to your wife and I'm going to do that to your wife. And Lewis was so angry. He just thought, I'm going to kill the man. And he was too angry to be able to fight the way he should have fought. But after the knockdown, he was calmed down by Blackburn. And then he went out and he stopped him. He stopped Glento. He just demolished him. Now, Glento uh, said that the punches he were he was hit with were incredible he also said that that um a lot of reporters said excuse me that galento 
the punches Lewis hit were the hardest ones Lewis ever threw in his career. I mean, he put everything into them. Alistair, nice to have you back. Too many people think of Tony as a butterbean type of fighting. Tony Glanta was skilled. Tony Glanta was very skilled and very powerful. And if you look at the guys he beat, I mean, he beat Lou Nova, Abe Feldman, Jorge Brescia, Harry Thomas, Nathan Mann, Charlie Macera, and Alan Torrey, just to name a few. These were all good top-ranked heavyweights. Glendo could punch with power and accuracy. And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, if you would called him a bum to his face, you would not have lived long to brag about it. Galento loved to fight in and out of the ring. He was a tough, tough guy. Next defense for Joe Lewis was Bob Pastor. And believe it or not, the fight was scheduled for 20, 20 rounds. Um, and Pastor lasted 11 rounds. He lasted 11 rounds. And Lewis stopped him at the 38-second mark. And that's incredible. He actually went 11 rounds. He got knocked down four times uh, in the first round uh, and once – four times in the first round and once in the second round. So he got dropped a lot, but he still got up. He was a tough but game guy. His career record was 53-7-5. That's a great career record. He only had 17 knockouts, but he wasn't a big puncher. He was a better boxer than puncher. But the speed and power of Lewis were just too much for him. And if you look at the guys he beat, for instance, Lee Ramage, Alatori, Art Sykes, Al McCoy, who was a top-ranked heavyweight, and, and Al Delaney, who was from Canada. His real name was Alex Borchek. Uh, Pastor survived four knockdowns against a prime Joe Lewis. Lewis was in his prime then, and he still went 11 rounds with him. So after getting dropped four times and still going 11 rounds, you cannot call Bob Pastor a bum. The next guy he fought was one of his closest fights next to the Billy Conn fight. It was Chilean heavyweight Arturo Godoy. Godoy was an awkward fighter. He, he fought out of an exaggerated crouch. And he would just stick his hands up like this, you know, when he's fighting you. And he was just an awkward guy to fight. And he beat him by split decision. And Godoy fought a very good match. Godoy's final record, by the way, was 92 wins, 22 losses, 12 draws, 52 knockouts. This was an elite level guy. And he held wins over Harold Johnson, Phil Moscato, Buddy Knox, Lee Savold, who later on fought him, and Tony Musto, another opponent of Joe Lewis. So these are all good fighters. So no way, shape, or form can Arturo Godoy ever be considered a bum. Now, the one fight that it's interesting to watch, and I would strongly urge you to, to go on uh, YouTube and watch this, was the fight with Johnny Paycheck, P-A-Y-C-H-E-K. Uh, it lasted one round, in his and it was his next defense. Paycheck had a really good record, 44-4-2, and he had wins over Charlie Belanger, Alatari, and Charlie Macera. And when you watched the fight, he was literally quaking in his in his boots, uh, which was not uncommon for guys to face Lewis. He was a good and respected heavyweight, but he was not a bum. Now, what made Lewis so terrifying in the ring was he was the best counterpuncher that ever lived. So you would have situations in every one of his fights where guys were afraid to lead. Because if you lead against Joe Lewis and you miss, you're going to get hammered. You're going to get knocked out. And then there was the other situation where Lewis would lead. Lewis was essentially a counterpuncher, but Lewis would lead. And guys were afraid to counterpunch because if they counterpunched him and they missed, they get hit. But if even worse, if they hit Lewis and annoyed him, he'd hit him back even harder. So a lot of guys were beaten before they went in the ring, which brings us to another thing. People talk about guys 
in the ring uh, um, who fought like Jose Ribalta or Conroy Nelson, the Canadian who fought Mike Tyson, the look of sheer terror on their face. And that's true, but you never saw terror on a person's face like you saw when Joe Lewis fought him. And in fact, I'm gonna show you something here. I have a picture. This is from my Substack, Substack.com, called the Bum of the Month Club. And I just wanted to show you the photo I have of, of um, Joe Lewis. That's Joe Lewis. Now, minus the gloves, look at that face, right? See the face? That face, no emotion, no empathy, no sympathy, no human emotion. And that's the face that people looked at and were terrified of. That's what scared the hell out of people because you didn't know what he was thinking. All he wanted to do was fight and he was going to get in there and do the best he could. So after he fought, uh, he had paycheck and Arturo Godoy made the mistake of fighting him again. Never fight Joe Lewis twice. That, to fight Joe Lewis twice, he always fared much worse the second time. He knocked him out in eight rounds. He just destroyed him. After that, he fought a guy named Al McCoy. There were several fighters in boxing history named Al McCoy. This was a heavyweight. McCoy had a great record. 70 wins, 17 losses, five draws with 47 knockouts. And McCoy could fight. He could also bang. And he beat such name fighters as Nathan Mann, who Lewis fought, Bob Olin, Donald Redberry, Buddy Knox, Emilio Bettina, former world light heavyweight champion, Harry Thomas, Tommy Loughran, former world light heavyweight champion, Tony Shuko, and Charlie Belanger, the Canadian. So McCoy was an above average fighter. He was a very, very good fighter. He was only stopped three times in his entire career. And he was very well respected pugilist. So his record alone shows you he wasn't a bum. And Lewis walked right through him. So, you know, five rounds, Lewis just took him apart. This guy was a very good fighter, but Lewis's skills were so supreme he just made this really good fighter look like he was a bum. Next up was a guy named Red Berman. Now, like many of his other opponents, Berman had stellar career numbers, right? He had 78 wins, 22 losses, three draws. He knocked out 33 guys. And he beat Tony Musto. He beat Tommy Farr, Steve Dudas, Charlie Macera. And Lewis knocked out Berman with a body shot. He hit him quite a few times in body in the fifth round. But he hit him one left hook to the liver, and Berman was left hanging on the ropes. And the Associated Press, this is a quote, Associated Press said that um, three terrific blows to the body left Red Berman draped over the bottom rope, gasping for breath through contorted lips and helpless to move. But before he went out last night, the Baltimore battler put up a fight to thrill the crowd and won a genuine compliment for Joe Lewis. Red Berman, like a lot, unlike a lot of other fighters Lewis fought, he tried. He went out after the, he he attacked Lewis from the opening bell. <coughs> Excuse me. He looked to knock him out. And Lewis said after, he's the only fighter besides Glenn to try to take my title away from me. He really came after me. I, I had to hit him the hardest I ever hit a man. And that's very true. Most guys were terrified when they fought Lewis and for good reason. Everyone was really, really, really brave and tough and training. But once you got in the ring from him, all that courage left and it wasn't tyson it was it was joe lewis who said when he was told billy Kahn had a plan to beat him and lewis said everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face that was lewis who said that um lewis knocked him out of 249 as i said at the fifth round 
But you got to give Berman credit because he did his best to go after Lewis. He threw everything he had. Red Berman was known as one tough hombre in the ring. He was a tough guy. And he didn't back down from anyone. So you can't saddle him with the sobriquet of being a bum. Now, the next guy he fought was, was Gus Derazio. The name Gus Derazio or Derazio sounds like the name of a bum. He'd stop him at the 130 mark of the second round of Philadelphia at the convention hall. And was Derazio a bum? Let's see. He was the tough-as-nails fighter with a good heavyweight record of 71, 23, and 1. But he only had 19 KOs. He was more of a swarming fighter than an actual puncher. And, you know, he beat guys like Gunnar Barlin, Joe Baxi, who was a good heavyweight, Al McCoy, Charlie Macera, another good heavyweight, and, and Bob Pastor, who was an exceptional heavyweight. Now, that's a pretty decent punch. Now, Lewis knocked him out cold in two short rounds. And what happened was he didn't. He, he took one step forward and let his lethal right hand fly. And the punch didn't travel more than six inches, but that was enough. And it landed on Derezio's chin. And everyone knew the fight was over because Derezio fell on his face. And when a fighter falls on his face, there's no point in counting. Lewis suckered him in. Lewis did what Bachman had taught him. Lewis showed um, flaws in his armor, holes, weaknesses that weren't there. And Derezio went for it and leaned forward, make him, putting himself off balance. Lewis quickly shifted, closed the holes, and then hit him with a shot. And that was it. I mean, Derezio saw the chance that, oh, he's open, I'll hit him. Oh, he's not open, I'm out. And that's what Lewis did to a lot of guys. And after the fight, he said that the referee, Irving Kutcher, should not have stopped the fight. But the fight, it, it highlighted Lewis's unrivaled ability to punch uh, with tremendous accuracy and power. Blackburn um, impressed upon Lewis that when you're fighting someone, 100 punches that miss mean nothing. One more, one accurate, well-placed punch is good than 20 or 30 power punches that look good but don't do anything. Lewis never wasted punches. Only in the first, second fight with Walcott, where you see him wasting a lot of punches because he's sort of fighting in desperation. But before that, he didn't waste a lot of punches. Lewis often didn't throw the most punches in his fight, in his fights, but he threw the most accurate punches and the most telling punches. And that's why quality always comes over quantity in a fight. Today you'll say, this guy outlanded the other guy by 50 shots. Well, that's negligible because those shots may have been flicking jabs. But when Lewis landed his punches, they counted. And when he hit you, he broke something. If he hit you in the arm, like Marciano would later on, he, he broke blood vessels, he broke bones, hurt your ribs, break your ribs, break your nose, knock your teeth out, open big cuts on your face. Lewis just did damage with every punch he threw. And that's because Blackburn taught him how to do that. It was Blackburn who taught him to stand there. Joe Lewis was Jack Blackburn's revenge. He was his masterpiece. He was like Michelangelo's David. This was his revenge on the world of boxing. And Blackburn, as I said, did not like Jack Johnson. And what happened was when Johnson was in jail in the early 1900s, he asked Blackburn to bail him out. And Blackburn gave him like five grand, seven grand. And that was all Blackburn had after like eight, 10 years of fighting. He didn't have any more money. That was his whole bankroll. And then two, three years later, when he was in jail, he asked Johnson to bail him out. And Johnson said, screw you. If you're stupid enough to give me your money, that's your fault. And Blackburn never forgot it, and he never forgave it. So years later, when Lewis is doing well, uh, Johnson drives up to his training camp. And 
I've told the story before, and he's talk. And now, now Blackburn was like a father to Joe Lewis. They loved each other, and he called him Chappie. Black, Lewis never knew his real father, and so Johnson's saying to Lewis, "No, you got to do this. You got to do that." Blackburn's a bum. He was a bum as a fighter. He was a bum as this. He doesn't know what he's doing. And as he's doing it, saying this, you can hear, you know, didn't do the sound well, but he could hear the unmistakable sound of, of a gun being cocked, the trigger being cocked. And it was Jack Blackburn. And he said to him, move, leave now or die. And Johnson just put his hands up, you know, and he left. He knew, he knew but from experience, because Blackburn had killed three people, if not more. He wasn't kidding. Blackburn would have shot him in the head. And he just said, I don't want anything to do with that man. All he brings is trouble. All he cares about is himself. And so he left. Lewis wouldn't have gone with him anyways, because he loved Blackburn like a father. But this was the enmity between them, the hatred between them. So Blackburn wasn't going to let his masterpiece, Joe Lewis, be ruined by anyone. Uh, after Gustarazio lost the fight, he thought he, he wanted to file a formal complaint against the referee because he said the referee shouldn't have stopped it. He was out. Like, he, he, you know, he gets up, he falls back into the ropes. He's out. His eyes are gone. He actually thought the referee stopped it. He'd been hit so hard, he didn't realize that he was knocked out. In fact, Nady Mann, who Lewis knocked out, hit the canvas. His head hit so hard, and he bounced back up. He kissed the referee on the lips and asked him out for a drink. And I asked Angelo Dundee if this was true. He said, ask my brother Chris. He was there. And Chris said, yeah, he did. He, but his eyes weren't there. Like, he was glassy-eyed. He just, he was out of it, which is when the referee stopped the fight. Uh, the next guy who fought Lewis was Abe Simon. Abe Simon was an interesting fighter. He was a Jewish fighter from New York. He was a behemoth. He was six foot four, 250 pounds. He had that analogy of some sort. I can't remember. The, I apologize. I can't remember the name of the affliction, but he had an oversized head. And Lewis came out and knocked him down with the first right hand he threw. And, and Simon's sitting there in his corner laughing and he, or smiling. And he gets up. He gets knocked down three or four more times. It was a 20-round fight. And he, he, you know, he just kept going. He was 255 pounds, and he he stopped. He beaten Jersey Joe Walcott, so you got to give him credit. And the unfortunate thing about Simon, of course, was his his physical size didn't match his boxing talent. Uh, he had a great jab, and when the fight was over, he he cut Lewis over his left eye, and he closed the left eye. And as the reporters said, he gave Lewis a hell of a fight. He lasted 13 rounds with the immortal Joe Lewis, and it was enough that you know Lewis. Lewis was a, I won't say he was scared, but it put some worry or fear in his heart. And all, all Simon had was the heart of a whale and a tremendous dazzling left jab. And he was supposed to be too big of a target for Lewis. And the writer said his chances were one in a million, and that's giving him the benefit of the doubt of going just three rounds. But he, he gave it a full fight for 12 rounds, got knocked out in the 13th. Uh, the Brown Bomber just got up to him and let his hands go in the 13th, and that was it. And he was floored twice by heavy-duty right hand hands, and then as he staggered into the ropes near his own corner, he couldn't maintain his balance. And the referee, Sam Hannity, wisely stopped the bout. 
it was a TKO for Lewis, one minute and 20 seconds into the 13th round. And although Lewis floored him four times in 13 rounds, it was scheduled for 20. And you can't call in any way um, uh, him a bum because Abe was hurt three times. He didn't go down into the 13th. And for several reasons, uh, several rounds before that, Joe had been stalking him holding his fire until he had an open shot. In other words, Lewis didn't want to take a shot and leave himself open. Lewis was looking for the perfect shot to drop him. And in the 13th, it came, and Simon goes down for nine, gets back up, and Lewis rushed in looking to kill him. Three more rights dropped him again, and he took another nine count. And as he raced across the ring once more, uh, his manager and promoter, Jimmy the Boy Bandit Johnson, uh, stopped the fight. This yelled, it's over. Stop it. And the referee moved in and stopped it. And as I said, any man that can go toe-to-toe with Joe Lewis for 13 rounds is not on anyone's list of bombs. Simon wasn't the most skilled of fighters, and Buddy Bear, who was as big as him, actually bigger than him, beat him. But you can't call Abe Simon a bum. Tony Musto was an Italian fighter, good heavyweight. He had a record of 37-30-3. Not a great record. But he went nine hard rounds of Lewis. Lewis floored him only once in the third round, but he got up and he was ahead on points when the fight was stopped because in the ninth round, he had a severe cut over Musto's right eye. They couldn't stop it. And blood was pouring into his eye. He couldn't see it, so they had to stop the fight. Now, was Musto a bum? I would say no. Why? Because he beat the great Jimmy Bivens. Any man who beat Jimmy Bivens cannot be called in any sense of the word a bum. Uh, then he took next fight for him on the Bum of the Month Club, Buddy Bear, brother of Max Bear. Good fighter, 6'6", 255 pounds, just a bit of a notch below him. But Buddy Bear had a great record, 57-7-0 with, with 53 knockouts. And he knocked out Al Delaney, Abe Simon, Tony Galento, Nathan Mann, and he decisionally saddled. And his first fight with Lewis was controversial. Uh, he knocked Lewis through the ropes and out of the ring in, one, in, in round one with a giant left hook. Lewis gets back in, but near the end of the sixth, Lewis hit him a big shot and big right hand. He threw it before the bell ended, but it landed after the bell sounded. And Bear was disqualified. Why was Bear disqualified? Because his manager, Ansel Hoffman, and his trainer, Ray Arcel, who I had the pleasure and privilege of knowing and speaking to, said they wouldn't leave the rink. And they they said to the referee, Arthur Donovan, you got to disqualify him. He hit him after the bell. And the referee said, and he was correct, and it was within the rules, yes, he hit him after the bell, but he threw the punch five seconds before the bell. And it landed just as the bell rang. So it's not an illegal punch. If the bell had rung and then he threw it, that would be a disqualification. And because Arcel and Hoffman wouldn't leave the ring, Buddy Bear was disqualified. And he was a good heavyweight, not as good as his brother, but no way could he be considered a bum. This was a guy who could really fight. Now, the greatest fight that he ever had as world champion, it was his next defense against the phenomenal Billy Kahn. Billy Kahn is the former, was the former undisputed light heavyweight champion in the world, enormously talented, movie star, good looks, one of the greatest all-around technical boxers that ever set foot during. And he was he was phenomenal. And he was the most he was the smartest and most gifted fighter that Joe Lewis ever faced in his life before he was a champion, while he was champion, and after he was champion. And for 12 rounds, Khan was ahead. Khan was ahead of him. Khan was outboxing him. 
you know, and after the 10th or 11th round, Khan said, you got a big fight in your hands tonight, Joe. And Joe said, I know it. Khan was too quick for Lewis. Khan would hit him. And when Khan would, would um, sorry about that, drop something. When Khan would hit him, uh, he'd get out of the way. And he kept turning Lewis. He kept moving. And Lewis couldn't find him. And now there was a time in the ninth or 10th round, which was written about after, when Khan was against the ropes and he slipped on the canvas. And his right arm went through the ropes. Now, with, it would have been within the rules for Lewis to hit him, and Lewis could have taken his head off, but he didn't. He moved back. And people said after the fight, that shows you how much of a gentleman Lewis is. Lewis was a gentleman, but that's not why he moved back. Lewis moved back because he didn't want to win in that fashion. Lewis knew. He believed in his own skills and what Blackburn had taught him so much that he knew that sooner or later, Khan would make one mistake and he'd catch him. And that's exactly what happened. Now, as as the fight went on, uh, coming up after the 12th round, people said, well, Lewis had to knock him out to win. That's not true. If you look at all three scorecards, Lewis could have swept 13, 14, and 15th, the last three rounds, and come out the winner. What happened in the 13th round was Khan made a mistake. What Khan did was he tried to knock Lewis out. Khan had forgotten. Uh, in his haste to win the title by knockout, that even a tired Joe Lewis could still punch harder and more accurately than any man that ever lived. And that's exactly what happened. And he got in there and he started to trade with Lewis. And Lewis almost couldn't believe his luck. You know, Lewis hits him with a left jab, double left jab, right hand, then hits him, moves back, hits him with an uppercut, and Khan's knees buckle and at that point lewis just takes a big breath finishes him off with four five six punches khan goes down gets up the referee waves it off at 10 and khan rises it was one of the greatest performances of all time and they joked after khan said to him joe why couldn't you let me just win the title and then win it back in three rounds in three months and joe lewis would say billy you'd won the title you couldn't hold it for 12 rounds how are you going to hold it for three months and of course, after, for years after, the, and they fought again after the war. And Lewis destroyed him in eight rounds because Khan had nothing left after the war. Lewis lost a lot in the war, but not as much as Khan. But they became extremely close friends. And they always spoke highly of, of uh, each other. So you can't, and when you look at Khan's final stats, you know, 63, 11, and 1, he only had 11 knockouts, but he, helped, he boxed the pants off of everybody. It's a who's who of boxing and world champions that he beat. You know, look who he beat. Fritzy Zivic, world champion. Milia Patina, world champion. Bay Briscoe, great fighter. Vince Dundee, Teddy Yaraz, Vince Dundee, world champion. Young Corbett III, world champion. Eric Seeley, Solly Krieger had a title. Fred Apostoli was the middleweight champ. Gus Durazio, Lee Saville, Gus Lesnovich, world champion. Bob Pastor and the great... Tony Zell, one of the all-time great middleweight champions of all time. And he was first ballot unanimous uh, inductee into the Hall of Fame was, was Billy Kahn. So was Tony Zell. And Billy Kahn, if any fighter you look at on Lewis's list or in any list, is as far as you can get from being considered a bum. Next up was Lou Nova, the great Lou Nova, who had the cosmic punch. Lou Nova beaten a lot of guys. Max Baer knocked him out twice. Tommy Farr. Lee Ramage, Pat Comiskey, and his final career stats were also good. 49, 9, and 5, 31 knockouts. 
but Lewis caught him at 259 in the sixth round and and stopped him. And you know, Gail Tabbit, Tabbit, Talbot, excuse me, the writer for the Freelance Star of Fredericksburg, Virginia, it was reported he wrote, Lewis fainted with his left and threw out all of his 202 plus pounds behind his right, he struck the powerful Nova flesh on the jaw, and he dropped as though he had collided with a freight train. That's how hard Joe Lewis get hit. And, you know, as everyone said after the fight, Nova gained his feet, but that one punch ruined him for Lewis. It didn't just ruin him in that fight. It ruined his career. He never recovered from it. And no fighter ranked as number one, as Nova was by Ring Magazine, can ever be called a bum. He, Buddy Bear tempted fate again, and as we know, fate hates being tempted. And he stopped Bear in one round. He just went out and said, I'm not going to have any more of this garbage of debating whether, where, and when, and what time I hit him. He just destroyed him in one round. And then last fight he had before entering into the Army was uh, Abe Simon again. And he annihilated Abe Simon in one six one-sided rounds. And like, you know, Buddy Bear before him and Arturo Godoy and Jersey Joe Well got after him, he found out all too well that when you face Joe Lewis in a rematch, it's like threatening a lion cub in front of its mother. You just, it's not a thing you want to do. These were all good men. They could all fight and all had great victories in the ring. They were not bums by any means. But Lewis stood supreme atop the heavyweight division. And so after the war, he defends his title four more times. And it was his title. And you have to remember that during his reign, there were only eight champions, eight divisions, eight champions during his reign. And each division only had one world champion. The other thing you have to remember is you can only fight who's around in your weight class at the time. You can't fault him for not fighting this guy or that guy. People said he never fought Elmer Violent Ray. I'm glad I remember that. Ray was a good heavyweight, but Lewis did fight him in an exhibition and annihilated him. Ray lost, Elmer Violent Ray had lost in fights to Jersey Joe Walcott and Ezra Charles, and that took him out of contention to fight Lewis for the title. No fighter in any weight class ever defended a title for, for as many times and for as long a duration as Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis was the real deal, and so was every man that faced him in the ring and if you don't believe me go on youtube and watch his fights he was the perfect fighting machine he was the greatest single heavyweight champion and fighter ever to have walked the face of god's green earth we will see you next week my name's lou eisen this has been ring talk enjoy the rest of your weekend